On Cinema Smorgasbord presents How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, we look at the life and film career of the always unique character actor, Steve Buscemi. So let's go. Welcome to How Do You Do, Fellow Kids. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is the chairman of the board, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? How do you do, fellow Doug? <laughs> is that how you're going to start? Is that how every episode's not going to be? We should just say, how do you do all the time? How do you do, fellow Doug? T- tip of the hat to Liam. Uh, t- <laughs> Liam, today we're going to be looking at Peter Illy Humor's 1987 thriller, thriller, Kiss Daddy Goodnight. Thr- it's so thrilling. With uh, Uma Thurman in her very first film role, as well as an appearance by Steve Buscemi, and... What I can only describe as one of the lesser Dylan brothers. <laughs> a Dylan you didn't even know existed. I did not know that this person existed. Apparently, they were just cranking them out in the 1980s, all those Dylans. Uh, we will refer to that, of course, when we get to talking about Kiss Daddy Goodnight. But how, I mean, look, Liam, Halloween's in our rearview mirror at this point. What is your plan for the remainder of 2020? <laughs> Nothing. Now that Halloween has happened, it's like the world doesn't exist. Have you voted yet, Liam? Um, <laughs> are we keeping up the kayfabe of when this is coming out? Because then, yes, I have. <laughs> and who did you vote for? <laughs> uh, I I don't know. Some libertarian guy. Oh, that's a uh, good. Uh, soon I won't be able to cook toast in my own damn toaster, Liam. Um, no, I, 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 I voted for uh, Mr. Joseph Biden. You love that guy. <laughs> I your, mean, I, your dream ticket was this Biden-Harris ticket. <laughs> oh, man. They literally were like, how do we... Tr-? No, I'm not going to get... Come on, Doug. Can we not? <laughs> can we not? Politics is important, Liam. I, I guess you don't take it very seriously. Maybe because it doesn't affect you as directly? Oh my God! Why did you take your dumb Canadian butt and put it somewhere? How about that? Um, I don't like the ticket. That's all I'll say. I, I I'm just trying not to complain. I don't get me wrong. I don't think it's any. I don't have anything against people who do. But for my mental health, since I'm pulling for one of these sides, I'm trying not to shit all over it as much as I can. Yeah, you don't want to be the reason that someone doesn't vote for Joe Biden because you do love him so much. You know what's crazy is that we're recording this a little bit in advance. Not too much, but a couple of weeks. So who knows what's going on in the world at this point? This has been you such might, a You might be listening to this in your bunker because Trump lost and now he's dropping nuclear well, weapons. Well, no, th- th- this this will not come out after the election. <laughs> yeah, but people don't listen right away. Like that's the funny thing like even though we're recording this in advance, all of it is silly, right? Because it might all seem like ugh, Man, they didn't know what was going to happen. Did you actually, – actually, that brings up a fairly interesting topic, which if you were listening to podcasts around the time of Trump's election uh, and you had any – like there was any political talk in them whatsoever, it was so surreal after he was elected to to listen to like the next episode, which was almost always uh, recorded in advance, and have people talk as if – Oh, that's absolutely not going to happen. There's no way that's going to happen, and you don't have to worry about it. And I just remember in the depressed days and weeks following, listening to podcasts, which where people were just like 
where, where it, it seemed like it was from an entirely different planet, and then eventually those podcasts catching up to what happened in the world and just hearing all these really horrible, depressed results to everything. Uh, but anyway, that's all going to change this time. I've read the polls. <laughs> Man, you really know how to break down an episode, Doug. <laughs> Well, it, it's it. Well, thankfully, Liam, we have such a great fucking movie to talk about here today. <laughs> so, uh, aside from that, Liam, uh, I have any Christmas plans? <laughs> <laughs> not yet, Doug. Not yet, Liam. I do have some great Steve Buscemi news. If you're a fan of Steve Buscemi, which I imagine you are, since you're listening to a podcast devoted to him, uh, this is a show I was not aware of. Apparently, I'm not a uh, Steve Buscemi devotee like I am to uh, Eric Roberts, but there's a television show, an anthology show called Miracle Workers on TBS, and uh, it was just recently announced that it's going to be returning for a third season. Now, this is a show that you're aware of, Liam. It has Daniel Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi. Has been, they've both been in the first two seasons. It has Geraldine uh, Viswanathan and Karen Sony in it as well. First season, what was the first season? It took place in heaven? Yeah, like Steve Buscemi is God and he's a slacker and he doesn't want to like do anything. And uh, Daniel Radcliffe is... I, I, they don't really say angel, but he like works in heaven and he's been recently <laughs> transferred to the prayers department and the prayers department is basically like they don't do anything. Like they don't make an effort because there's too many prayers all the time is prayers. And so they couldn't possibly actually affect anything. And Daniel Radcliffe is just like a very kind of, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's a self-assured white man who's sure that he could be the one to make a difference. And uh, he makes various attempts to actually answer uh, prayers here and there, and at first it's cool, and then it gets difficult, and it goes from there. So that's a summary of the first season of Miracle Workers. And the second season took place in the Dark Ages, Liam. Have you seen this season? I have not yet, no. Um, I like the first season, and I really like Steve Buscemi as this, like, slacker, uh, too old to be skating, but skateboards around heaven. God, it's pretty good. I mean, that's but, very uh, much a, a how do you do fellow kids type role. Exactly, exactly. He's very much has this kind of like, it's it's also like, you know, Steve Buscemi has a few different things. The the kind of sad older man role is one of my favorites for him. And he really nails it as the, the Lord Almighty, who's just pretty much given up. It's pretty good. So this is the kind of anthology show, I guess, where the second season takes place in the Dark Ages. So it's like a completely different story with these same actors. And now the third season is going to take place, Liam, in the Old West. I don't know what to make of that. Like I said, I didn't get a chance to watch the season two, so I don't know if they're doing these transitions well or not. Well, I don't know how the – what do you mean transitions? Well, in the sense of like, you know, they obviously had to transition from season one to season two. I don't know how that went. So the idea of a third season might be enjoyable or terrible, depending on how that transition I like this know. Daniel Radcliffe fella. Seems like a decent guy. Yeah, he's all right. I, I don't know. I, I – I like him in the show so far, at least. Um, and I appreciate that because I haven't necessarily been a big fan of his films recently. Mm. You know, like he hasn't, they haven't all been bad or anything. Like It's not like a terrible, but there's nothing that's really stuck out to me. And I, and I kind of want him to have a big win. Swiss army man. Yeah, it's okay. I like that movie. Uh, does in the first season, does he use his British accent? Is he a real yeah. Brit? 
Is he? Is he Uzi British? Is <laughs> I'm not going to say anything because if I don't, you'll just keep doing the accent, and that's all I want. Because it makes sense in the dark ages. But how about the old West? <laughs> no, tell me some more. I, you know what, Doug? I don't remember, but I'll be able to remember if you do more of the accent. Well, I'll go get in my lorry, which I have to fill with petrol, right? Mm, mm, mm. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh, it's dark out, Doug. You, you need to find the car. What do you need? My torch. Yeah. I can't that even, torch, I can't even I just, get I just in the lift without out my torch. That, I just wanted to say the torch started to sound a little Aussie. You went a what? little Aussie on the first torch. What? Aussie? <laughs> <laughs> have you started watching Bluey yet, by the way? I don't have a child yet, so I'm not going to watch children's Fuck programming you. with you. <laughs> Fuck you. So good. No, I mean, like, I, I, I don't even see how that's a controversial thing to say. It is transparently a child show for children. No, it's cool. I told you, and then your good friend Josh, who doesn't have children, told you. And uh, if you did a little reading, you'd find out that the world tells you that it's good and you should watch it. I have to spend all my time editing your podcast for you, so I don't have any time. You have you. not edited a single podcast for me. This is a podcast. Oh, right, this one. But that's with you. You're part of it. That's weekly. It takes hours. <laughs> oh, you're fine. If you stop talking about dumb stuff like Bluey, then it wouldn't be a problem. Liam, did you uh, catch up and watch Hubie Halloween yet? I did watch it. Okay, Hubie this is good. This is great news. Steve Buscemi is in that movie. He is. How is he? Uh, he's actually pretty good. It's a weird mix. The, the, the Hubie Halloween was confusing for me because... Um, Parts of it are all the things that you don't want in a new Adam Sandler movie. But then parts of it are actually kind of fun. I don't know if they're fun enough to justify the whole movie. Like I wouldn't say, oh, you guys got to get out there and watch Hubie Halloween. Adam Sandler's finally back. It's not quite that, but it was amusing. <laughs> uh, here, here's the thing, Liam. I, this used to be a very, very popular opinion and is now a very unpopular opinion. I hate Little Nicky. I really, really dislike it. And this is another apparently similarly themed, uh, in the terms of its tone, movie from the same director. If I hated Little Nicky, am I going to hate Hubie Halloween? I don't know if you'll hate it. I don't think that you'll love it, but I don't think you'll hate it. I will say I also don't like Little Nicky. And in fact, on um, the most recent episodes of Cinepunks, you'll hear me bash little Nikki while discussing Hubie Halloween and uh, uh, my co-host Josh Alvarez has to come to little Nikki's defense because it is his wife's favorite Adam Sandler movie. Like I don't want to knock anyone for the kind of movies that they like, but, and, and when I say hate boy, you will not hear me say hate ever on these podcasts. I just hate that movie. I had such an unpleasant time. The, the product placement in it is some of the worst in any movie ever. Popeye's chicken is the shiznit. I mean, it is so... that, that The voice... I also know that Adam Sandler does a funny voice in Hubie Halloween. His voice in Little Nicky, it's, it's literally like stabbing needles into my brain. How's his voice in Hubie Halloween? It's more like uh, Waterboy. Yeah. It has more of a Waterboy vibe. All right. Well, to me, that sounds like a waterboard vibe to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I went in thinking this was going to be the worst thing ever. And while it does have aspects of it that are bad, uh, I was surprised how much of it I liked, including a Mr. Steve Buscemi. So who does he play in it? Is this a spoiler if we find? I know that he plays, maybe this is a spoiler, a werewolf. 
Yeah, it's a bit of a spoiler. Oh, is it? Well, yes, but it's fine. It's fine. It's the the, <laughs> the 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 question is not whether or not he's a werewolf. That's pretty clear early on, and he moves in next door to uh, Hubie. The question is if he is the villain of the film or not. You know, or is oh, he a red herring? Interesting. Well, I guess you'll have to check out Hubie Halloween, currently streaming on Netflix. And uh, why don't you leave us <laughs> a review of Hubie Halloween uh, so I can decide whether or not I'm going to check it out. Uh, it felt like there was a lot of Hubie Halloween fervor in the world, Liam, that has died down recently, maybe because of all the things that are happening. That is that is probably a big part of it. I will also say um, it's – I think people were just – too excited because they were like oh look adam sandler did something that isn't totally terrible but that doesn't make it great either and i think uh that's it's it's eventually going to fizzle out because people aren't going to be that stoked on it. i i there was a certain performative aspect to the excitement around this movie because uh i believe that after adam sandler did not get nominated for an Academy Award for Uncut Gems, he threatened that he was going to make the worst movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what this is. And no. To be, to be fair, I liked Stevie Shemmy in it. I also liked Maya Rudolph in it, but that's, you know, I, I would just watch a live stream of Maya Rudolph cooking, so it's not like that impressive that she's pretty good in it. But, you know, there's a couple of things in it that are fun, but it also has uh, that uh, Paul Blart jerk-off in it, so it's not all good. You know, Kevin James. You don't like Kevin James. Oh, oof. Uh, I would I would watch a live stream of him getting beat up. I uh, I had turned on the television uh, recently and the movie The Zookeeper starring Kevin James was on and I watched 10 minutes of it and it was some of the worst goddamn shit I have ever seen. I, I like I, Joe Rogan is like a, a supporting performer in that movie. It is ungodly terrible. Hey, look, if you're a big sandhead, sandman head. Uh, and you love the extended uh, Adam Sandler universe. I'm sorry if I'm uh, I'm raining on your parade today. I'm just not a fan of all that. And I'm not saying that I just like all of Adam Sandler movies. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, but maybe I will check out Hubie Halloween. I do like the horror tinge to it, Liam. Uh, and it is available right now streaming on Netflix. Any other thoughts before we uh, move on to our first break, Liam? I like Salem. Just the the, the location? That's where they. I think that's yeah. where they filmed it. Okay, well... How come you don't live in Salem, Massachusetts? Because <laughs> I live where I do, Doug. I don't know. What, is, what kind of question is that? Why do you live where you are? <laughs> Why does anyone do anything? Uh, excellent question, Liam. Maybe we'll answer that and other questions after this first break. When we return, 1987's Kiss Daddy Goodnight. And you are incredible. Can I buy you a drink? No, thanks. I'm fine. What's your name? Juliet. That's a dagger of one Victor uh, Del Torrio, something like that. I don't know, it's in my files. Make a nice present. Cheers again. Cheers. Juliet? What are you doing here? In trouble. Trouble for what? What are your plans, Sid? I don't know. Look up with Johnny. Get a band going. Listen, man, I want to put a new band together. Johnny. Get some kick-ass drummer. Hey, man. How you been? 
Right? Are you still playing? I'm still playing. Not the guitar, though. You know what I'm saying? A popular woman who enjoys her nights on the town gets more than she bargained for when a stalker murders a loved one and begins hunting her down. That's the plot of the last 30 minutes of Kiss Daddy Goodnight, but does <laughs> not reflect the first hour whatsoever. Uh, the film was directed by Peter Illy Humer. This is his only English language feature. He's an Austrian director. He directed 1992's Dead Flowers and a lot of Austrian TV movies, which you likely have not heard of. Uh, somehow he also appears as an actor in Richard Licklater's Before Sunrise. Isn't that interesting, Liam? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, and it was written by uh, uh, Michael Gabrielli, who has no other features to his credits, as well as Peter Illy Humor. Uh, and this is n- notably Liam Uma Thurman, the wonderful actress's uh, on-screen film debut. I'm going to turn it to you just right from the top. We talked about it already. Uma Thurman's in this. Steve Buscemi's in it. Uh, Annabelle Gerwich is in it, just briefly. And Paul Dillon, the brother of Matt Dillon, is in here as a character named Sid. What did you think of Kiss Daddy Goodnight? Oh, man. Um, (laughs) So the first hour of this movie, as Doug has already suggested, feels like a slice of life hangout uh, almost like Gen X sort of movie, you know, like it, it has very New York, um, uh, maybe, maybe even like a Jarmouche sort of vibe to it. Only, um, no one is interesting in it whatsoever. We've got these two characters that we don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. Um, uh, their lives are not that interesting. Nothing really happens. Uh, the most interesting thing that happens to Paul Dillon is he goes to see Steve Buscemi. At, well, first he tries to find Steve Buscemi. It turns out everyone who knows Steve Buscemi's character of Johnny hates him and wants to beat him up. Uh, but Paul Dillon will not be deferred because he wants to get the band back together. And he finally finds Johnny, and Johnny thinks the idea of getting the band back together or starting a new band or whatever it is uh, is funny. And that's it. That's that's their interaction. He's 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 got a kid now. He doesn't do that sort of thing. Whatever. Oh, he still uh, plays. He still plays. You know what I mean? He still. Yeah. Play. I don't exa- know. Exactly. 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 And then Paul Dylan, I guess Paul Dylan has his own story, which is the first out of the movie, which is he finds Johnny and it sucks. So now he's going to get a job and live with Uma Thurman's character, who meanwhile has just been uh, wearing wigs and robbing people. Uh, which is great, by the way. No judgment, but uh, she she basically goes on dates and drugs her date. Yeah, and takes. But the they're money. rich, so it's okay. Oh yeah, it's fine. But uh, but she also has this weird uh older neighbor who um simultaneously has conflated her with his daughter and wants to bang her. Yeah. Uh, which if you're thinking, well, that's weird. That sounds pedophilic. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason the movie's called Kiss Daddy Goodnight. Yeah. It's kind it's, of a spoiler, in fact. <laughs> yeah. It's super gross. Uh, and that's treated as not very important until the last half hour when it becomes, uh, in a dramatic, unexpected fashion, entirely what the movie is about. This is a film where if you didn't read the synopsis and know that something interesting was going to happen at some point and you didn't see the poster, which suggested the whole movie is a murder mystery, which it is not, uh, you would be 
mind blown by the last half hour when the movie suddenly goes, I know we've really been enjoying hanging out in New York and not doing much of anything, but guess what? Murder mystery! And the mystery lasts about a minute, by the way, before it's all revealed. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Sorry. I just got distracted. This amazing cat just walked past the window. <laughs> Finally, something interesting to talk about. <laughs> well, and that's what I'm saying here. This is really funny because a cat really did just walk by and it's a beautiful kitty and I was really surprised. But it's also true that that is about the interesting level of this movie. And so by the time the movie suddenly decides that murder is in the cards, you can't possibly care. It's a it's an act of sheer will to have gotten this far into the film in the first place. So now it's like, oh, I guess it's exciting murder time. But um, besides not being interesting and not having an interesting script and not really featuring any interesting performances, even barely making use of Uma Thurman, who I love. Um, this is also the worst lit, worst sounding movie <laughs> I've watched in a long time. And so most of the action packed fight over, you know, this old man trying to kill people, whatever is impossible to make sense of half the time. So I don't know, Doug, this felt like torture to me. What did you think? I liked it more than you. I have to say, but I cannot disagree with anything that you're saying. I did find this subplot of Paul Dillon's character, Sid, traipsing from person to person, trying to track down this mysterious Johnny. Like he's, he's just goes. He's got to get together with Johnny. He's going to get this band together. We never see him play any music. We never see the suggestion that that he's had success in the past with music. He just this is what his goal is. So for like literally an hour, he's going from place to place just to arrive at Johnny's uh, house or apartment or whatever. So Johnny can say, "Eh, no," and then that just that that ends. Like that's not part of the movie anymore. It doesn't make any sense. The thing I did like about this movie is kind of twofold. One, it reminded me of other kind of ultra lo-fi '80s New York movies. Things like Liquid Sky and movies that are just like very kind of meandering and interesting in the fact that they're not that interested in the plot. The other thing I liked about it is that it's a very New York movie of this time period. And it, you know, it, it really does. It's obviously they're shooting in real locations and it really kind of captures an atmosphere of that era that you see in, in other low budget directors uh, who are shooting in New York in the 80s. And and I really like that aesthetic. I like that kind of neon. I know that it's a very ugly movie in a lot of ways. I don't know if that's because the version that we're watching is, is pretty ugly already. Uh, this is not a movie that has been very well taken care of uh, historically. I just think that there is a really interesting atmosphere here. In some ways, I would have preferred that they never went to a plot. Because I feel like that's the weakest part of it, when we're supposed to suddenly... like. Sid is supposed to be a red herring, except it's exposed that he's not the person, the stalker, immediately. So we know that he's not hes not an appropriate red herring at all. It doesn't even make sense that he would be. Um, and then this it comes together where he gets stabbed, and uh, there's this confusion where Uma Thurman's character thinks that he might be her stalker. That all he has to do is yell, I'm not the stalker, I got stabbed by this guy. And it all would have been cleared up. It's its like a Frasier episode, except, you know, with murder. Um, so, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Well, all, all I was going to say is that it is a, an extremely unsatisfying movie to watch. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think that um, this is a film 
in my opinion, uh, so lacking in anything um, interesting that comparing it to Liquid Sky is disrespectful <laughs> to Liquid Sky. And I'm definitely someone whose appreciation for Liquid Sky is partly from the fact that that is one of the most compelling, inept movies I've ever watched. Like, it just clearly the people who made it are not master filmmakers whatsoever. And yet it manages to be really interesting. And um, I saw it projected with a with a new score that was really awesome. So it, that was great. Uh, I feel like if I saw this film, even in the most pristine print projected with my favorite band creating a new score, <laughs> it would still nothing. There's just nothing to latch on to. It, it doesn't help that Paul Dillon is just a, a unibrowed clone of Matt Dillon without any of the charisma. Like, he manages to have a gravelly voice and to occasionally get mad in a way that I'm like, yeah, he's actually mad. He's you so... T- I mean, he really is awful in this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's a hard movie to be good in because some of the dialogue is really rough. But like right. Uma Thurman, you can kind of see right from the start, oh, she has something. She's not very good here either, but she has something because her character... You know, has a lot more to grab, grip onto. But this Sid character is just supposed to be like kind of of a dull guy who's just wandering around and has no direction. And and even that, he's not that believable at doing. I mean, honestly, I hate to say it, but honestly, though I don't think it's a good performance, the closest to uh, a compelling performance is the creepy pedophile dude. Yeah. Because he's believably gross the whole movie. Um, but again, there's not much there. So just the, the fact that he actually embodies a character doesn't mean that much when the whole time I'm thinking, what is the point of this guy? I mean, I kind of had an inclination of that he was a bad dude because the name of the movie is ominous and <laughs> weird. Also, why? And, I mean, I guess in another movie you would say, why is he here if he isn't going to play into the ending in some way? But then again, right. this movie, you wouldn't be so surprised that a character no. would just vanish. No. And, but I do agree with you, though. I, I guess I, I, I want to disagree with you slightly because I think there is a something a something that is hard to define about a lot of those kind of meandering New York films that I love. And I think uh, folks who want to deride them for not having a plot or not being very interesting are, are often uh, Philistines. However, um, despite the fact that I think this movie fails at that, I do agree with you. I'd rather that failure than what really does feel like a tacked on action plot i mean they yeah. really try to make it exciting and i'm like excitement is not your forte like to suddenly it, it, it it's like you're listening to a bad folk record that suddenly breaks out into blast beats at the end of the record <laughs> and you're like you didn't you couldn't be compelling at folk now you think you're a grind band like no like you couldn't do this other thing very well now you're gonna try to suddenly have like a gritty edge to you to it. You know what I mean? Like the, the scene where Uma Thurman escapes from her mother's house. So, uh, I mean, I hate to, you know, whatever, spoil this compelling movie, but you know, (laughs) Uma Thurman goes to visit her mom. Her mom is dead. The killer is there. Uh, and Uma Thurman, like, I guess barely escapes out the window and all of that is supposed to be very exciting. And none of it is exciting. There's no tension in the moment whatsoever, and it bummed me out so hard. And from and that's the beginning, really, of this yeah. exciting sequence. Mm-hmm. And so when that failed, I knew this is not going to go anywhere. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I do want to briefly mention the opening and closing credits of the movie, which are really unique. They apparently they appear yeah. to be shot off of a CRT screen. Um, it almost has kind of like a porny look to it, but and it I guess it does fit sort of with the aesthetic of the rest of the movie, but not really. It does kind of feel like this movie has artistic pretensions to it, which makes the fact that it when it tries to be compelling and it fails so hard at it to be a little bit more depressing, right? Like it even ends with like a quote from a poem on the screen, which I thought was very, very silly and kind of eye-rolly as well. It, it's a tough to make something that in some ways feels very sleazy and New York-y and then also have these kind of pretensions on top of it. It's just a really weird mix. Well, and I think it's trying to... Um... It's it has a I know this is going to sound crazy to people, but that those those opening credits have an almost like uh, cyberpunky kind of vibe. You know what I mean? Like there, there's very much a this is New York, but this is the later 80s. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. that. It's, it's almost like he's really trying to show you how things are changing and how, you know, these two people are very much on the edge New York people, but you, you wouldn't accuse them of being like punk rock no. or art or, or even like artists. Like, they're on the verge. They're like on the edge of the art scene, right? I mean, I think that's right. kind of what the movie is about are, are the kind of the, the margins next to successful artists and, you know, even the margins – Next to successful people in general, I I I mean that of course ironically, right? There's a part where Uma Thurman is trying to seduce this guy so she can go home and drug him and steal all the stuff, and she makes up this you know convincing backstory for herself. And when she asks him what he does, he's like, "I'm rich." Like that's his whole answer, right? I'm just a rich uh-huh. guy. Well, and I guess that aspect to it too, like when he says, "I'm rich," that struck me, and maybe you didn't maybe you didn't feel this way, but it struck me as like this. The, that this movie thinks it's very smart and it's making a very insightful commentary on 80s New York, you know, that there would be these sort of like uh, Wall Streety scumbags walking around like, I'm rich, come have sex with me. And I'm like, you're not wrong, but yeah, come on. It, it just, I, I just felt like, uh, as you sort of said, like the movie has pretensions. I think it has pretensions to art. It also thinks it's, very insightful and it's not there's there's nothing there i do like that it's not judgmental towards uma thurman's character for doing what she does right i mean this that it's still fairly rare to see a movie where you have someone drugging and robbing people who is not presented as immoral or a bad person or you know her relationship with this kind of this older gentleman who turns out to be your stalker in the movie, there, there is a sweetness to it, but it's obvious that he wants more from her, but she doesn't seem to be wanting to take advantage of him in any particular way. She does seem to legitimately enjoy his company. It's only, you know, she's, it's only the rich scumbags that she wants to take advantage of. And even when it comes to the Sid character, she seems very sympathetic to him. There's the suggestion that there's all of this backstory between these characters and things that they've gone through, which is hard to believe because I think Uma Thurman's like 17 or 18 when she made this movie. So, I mean, how much backstory could there possibly be? But, I mean, I do I do think there's an element of, of 
independent to the making of this movie, which allows it to be a little more interesting in terms of of who the characters are. And the fact that nothing happens in itself is sort of a statement. The fact that it then has to have something happen, which feels like a... um, It feels like a turn towards trying to make something commercial, which then undercuts the entire movie. I think that's fair. I I just think that the... The art that it's sullying was already bad. Uh, that's so fair. I think that's that, very, very you know? fair. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a poor movie. I mean, I, I when I say I enjoyed it more than you, I just mean that I didn't actively dislike it the entire time. But I will say that by the time we got past the first hour, I was like, you know what? Maybe try wrapping this up at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of does. It's a it's a really short movie. Um, what did you think of Uma Thurman in this? Uh, this? This is a couple of years before Dangerous Liaisons and uh, Adventures of Baron Munchausen, movies where she kind of broke into a, a kind of a more mainstream audience, certainly much bigger movies than this. Did, did you see anything in her in this movie, or is it hard to judge that in retrospect? I think it's hard to judge in retrospect. I mean, I th- she definitely holds the camera, you know, like she's she's compelling in some ways, but in this movie, at least, she's not a great actress, and that's not how I think of her. Yeah. You know, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't say she's amazing, but she is someone I enjoy uh, and, and who I think can do a variety of things. And in this, she just seems to be hanging out. And I, I, again, it's really hard to say, though, right? Because there's so little here to care about that I don't want to say, like, she sucks when the movie sucks. Yeah. But... We have seen performances from people that stood out in bad movies, and this is not that. I mean, it's certainly at odds with Steve Buscemi, who is still very Steve Buscemi esque in this movie, and he's good. Like he's he. We'll talk about him in just a second in terms of how good he is. He only has one scene, and Uma Thurman and her character never interacts with him at all, which is kind of funny when you think about their success throughout the nineteen nineties, right? And even the fact that. In his small appearance in Pulp Fiction, they they even interact. But but I think that he was a more developed actor at this point than she was and was able to carry some of this really not-so-great dialogue. And and she is saddled with a lot. I mean, she has to play different characters, basically, as she is um, as she's seducing these men. She has to do an accent. It's, it, there's a lot for her to do here. So I can see being impressed with her, even if her performance actually isn't that great. And certainly... When you got Paul Dillon to work against, it's not it's not that hard to uh, to come off as uh, looking a little bit better. Um, the movie ends, as we've already alluded to, with uh, this William Tilden character, this this neighbor of Uma Thurman's. He's obsessed with her. He has been stalking her, and then he kills her mother, and she doesn't know what's going on. And there's a bit at the end where she hides in his apartment, thinking that he's going to save her from Sid, when really he's the villain all along. Uh, what did you think of the ending, Liam? Me asking that, knowing that you did not enjoy it. I didn't like it. You know what I really liked about it? Is after it all gets figured out. So there's this valuable dagger that is, uh, is is like a commonly referenced thing throughout the entire movie. She stole it from uh, a rich guy, just like she stole a lot of stuff, and apparently it's extremely valuable. This dagger plays into the ending, but then after all of it plays out, her and Sid, the Paul Dillon character, they're just embracing on the, the streets of New York, and they just toss this dagger into a pile of trash and walk off. It's so ridiculous. 
it's I think it's meant to be cool, and that I, made it even absolutely. Because this thing is supposed to be worth like twenty thousand dollars, and it's like a murder weapon <laughs> in multiple murders, and she just tosses it to the ground. Well, and I also think they're not planning to deal with any of that. Like this is definitely one of those movies where you assume. Well, they just went on the run, and they never talked to a cop if they could help. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. Whatever. Can we talk about Steve? Let's talk about Steve Buscemi as the character of Johnny in the movie. What's it called again? Good Night, Kiss Kiss Daddy, Good Night. (laughs) I always forget the title, too. That's just my problem. So, as we already mentioned, Sid is searching for his good pal Johnny, someone he's had a former relationship with. Uh, I guess they might have been in bands together previously. He wants to get get a band together. He's been robbing music stores, apparently, to get all the, I guess, equipment or whatnot. Arrives at Johnny's place. Johnny has a child. Johnny has a wife. Johnny does not have beer. What do you think of Steve Buscemi in this movie? I mean, here's the thing, right? Is that while the dialogue is bad, and I don't quite understand why we even need this scene in some ways, <laughs> um, he's Steve Buscemi. And one of his real qualities as an actor is to uh, portray hopelessness. If you told me Johnny would end up at Tree's Lounge, I would believe you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, he takes what is some of the worst dialogue in the film and fills it with so much just dejected, who cares, I'm angry at the world, I hate my life, what the fuck are you even doing here at my house? That it, like, works. It's, like, one of the scenes that, like, I wouldn't go so far as to say compelling, but it's not bad. He's so much better than the other performers in the movie that he kind of sticks out. Like, even if I didn't know that he went on to so much success, I'd come out of this thinking, well, at least one person in this movie, maybe him and the, the neighbor actor, at least two people in this movie seem to know what they're doing. But... He, it is very much undercut by the fact that it is such a useless character. And I don't even, I can't even work out what the overlying theme is outside of making Sid look all the more pathetic. Maybe the idea is he settled down, this Johnny character has settled down with the wife and child, does not seem happy at all, seems like he argues with his wife. He, he just seems kind of out of it and not that, you know not that passionate but then Sid comes off as exactly the same way he seems like he doesn't even know what his place is in the world and I guess maybe that is at the core of what this movie is these are people that as I mentioned are on the margins do not have a place in the New York City of the late 80s and are just trying to they're just wallowing and struggling uh and that again that makes the fact that they turn this into a thriller with a stalker character all the more bizarre but I will say that even aside from the fact that we are people committed to the uh, life and career of actor Steve Buscemi, that that he is definitely the highlight of this movie, without a doubt. Which it's funny. It's in in a in a Eric Roberts podcast when Eric Roberts is the highlight of the movie. We 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 can take that away away from it. That hey, this movie's bad, but at least we got a good Eric Roberts performance. In some ways, Steve Buscemi being good in this actually makes the rest of the movie seem all the worse. I agree because there's no one compares. At, oh, sorry. That was an interesting got, sound, Liam. I've never I just heard that got before. the I just got the hiccups. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, it do, oh, gosh, I hate this so much. It doesn't. Do you want me make to scare sense. you? <laughs> yeah, please talk, talk to me about my uh, student loans. Um, yeah, no, it just it 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 doesn't help that the scene doesn't make 
if all we're going towards is some sort of ridiculous over the top murder story, then why do we need this moment to remind us of like how many people's lives are like you, we can't we can't have you hiccuping on the podcast Liam. i can't doug there's literally nothing I can do. <laughs> all right i'm gonna leave that in so i'm gonna move on to some of these letterbox reviews before we uh we clean up here liam so kiss daddy goodnight has a range of reviews over on the social media site for film fans letterbox the user charlotte Steele has given it five stars i don't understand this one at all and the entire review is horny again with uh, three exclamation points. This review has two likes, so it's a popular one for the movie Kiss Daddy Goodnight. Horny again. Uh, and in case you thought that Charlotte Steele was alone in her opinion on Kiss Daddy Goodnight, John E. Wordslinger also gave it five stars with the a detailed review. Great film. <laughs> Uh, the user Nicholas Carton uh, gave it one and a half stars and said, some of the worst sound lighting I have ever witnessed in a film. Also, it's boring as fuck. I would advise folk to stay well away, but I doubt it's easy to get a copy anyway. Pure balls. That feels like it's closer to your opinion L- on the movie. Love pure balls. That's a great <laughs> way to sum up the movie. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, overall... <laughs> Even if you could find a copy of Kiss Daddy Goodnight, I would recommend you not watch it. Uh, even if you're a big fan of Uma Thurman, and even if you're a big fan of Steve Buscemi, maybe... I mean, it is short, so I'll give it that. But I, I have to say, even though I enjoyed it maybe a little bit more than you because of the weird New York aesthetic, uh, it's a bad movie, and it is tedious to watch. Thankfully, Liam O'Donnell, on the next episode, Liam, of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, we're going to be watching a... <laughs> Not particularly well-received movie from uh, the director, Tom McCarthy. It's 2014's The Cobbler, starring Adam Sandler, the very man that we were talking about in the first segment of this podcast, Liam. I cannot wait. The Sandman, I like to call him. You do, actually. I wish you would stop. Yeah. Well, uh, this movie uh, notoriously was extremely poorly reviewed back uh, in the year 2014. I have not seen it. I know very little about it. I think it involves magic, Liam. And it also takes place in New York. All these things I love. I love magic. I love New York City. On the next episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, The Cobbler from 2014. Excited? Very. Yeah, you are not excited, Liam. No, I am. I'm very excited. Liam, I just want to return quickly to a uh, letterboxed review that we mentioned uh, at the end of last episode for Kiss Daddy Goodnight, where Justin Matthew said... Gorgeously lit, scuzzy, lo-fi street trash buzzing with a hundred dying fluorescent lights and Uma's angelic man-baiting duplicity. Thoughts? Oh, Jesus <laughs> Three stars. <laughs> I like that you also included this other alternate poster that's just Uma Thurman's face. <laughs> A film noir in living color. <laughs> it's in color. Fuck but you. what is noirish about this movie? Nothing. Nothing at no. all. Liam, if people want to find out more about How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, or other podcasts through Cinema Smorgasbord, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, they can always get the latest episodes at cinepunks.com, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X.com. Dear Lord. Uh, as well as <laughs> a number of other podcasts. Uh, we just finished up our Cineweek. 
Ween event, but all that writing is still there for you to check out, as well as some very special episodes. And we'd love if you support some of the other podcasts that are part of the Cinepunks family. Uh, they can also get you know into our back catalog over at <laughs> Cinema Smorgasbord. Dot com cinema smorgasbord dot com and they can follow us on Twitter at cinema smorg s m o r g. Where can you be found on Twitter, Liam? <laughs> Why do you keep having me talk? You know I'm going to keep hiccuping, and I don't know how to stop. I'm at Liam Rules on Twitter, and Doug is at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L. E-Y. E-Y. And how does rules, how is rules spelled me. for your Twitter account? R-U-L-Z. All right. Terrific. Yeah. <laughs> that is all there is to be said, believe me, about Kiss Daddy Goodnight. We're going to be back again very soon with another Steve Buscemi classic. Good night, everybody. <laughs> night. <laughs> Sweet.